On this episode of Wild in the Streets, Thomas Millian is a cop on the edge tracking down the criminals who murdered his wife in 1974's Emergency Squad. Comenciano. Hello and welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Eurocrime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly and with me as always is Mr. Cranium, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm all right, Doug. How are you doing? Not so bad. It's the year 2023. Uh, this is one of the first episodes that we've recorded in the year 2023. And uh, it's uh, it still kind of feels like 2022 to me, Liam. I mean, that's fine. I don't know that I feel a huge difference. The idea that like this is going to be any different than a few weeks ago isn't a thing. Um, but I'm sure by the end of the month, some new insanity will happen that will feel mm -hmm. the need to ascribe to this year as opposed to last year. But it's really just an endless hell, Doug. It doesn't matter what year we claim it is. It's it's all the same. Yeah, 2020 just, it opened up something in the timeline. Yes. And I'm not sure that we're ever going to get it back again, Liam. I, I really feel like my brain broke and I haven't recovered. Yeah. In fact, you're probably talking to nobody at all right now, Liam. What if I tried to what if I tried to gaslight you into losing your mind? Do you ever worry about that happening on our podcast? <laughs> Not particularly, no. <laughs> well, you should start. <laughs> yeah, this is a Eurocrime Eurocrime themed podcast. As I mentioned, we're gonna be talking about 1974's uh, emergency squad. But before we get into that, I wanted to I have a couple of announcements which we don't usually do on this show. And one of them is uh about Fernando DeLeo, who we've recently featured on Wild in the Streets in the film Madness from 1980, though neither of us much cared for that. I don't think Mr. DeLeo cared much for that movie as well. But if you wanted uh, listeners to check out some of Fernando DeLeo's Eurocrime classics, you can do so right now on the Criterion Channel streaming service. Uh, as of January 2023, they have released a collection of DeLeo's films for subscribers to check out. That includes Caliber 9, The Italian Connection, The Boss, uh, shoot first die later and the and kidnap syndicates so a whole collection of his films none of which we've covered on this podcast up to this point by the way Liam. yeah i mean th for this podcast more than other podcasts i've really let you be the captain of the ship you know you sort of uh -huh. set the rudder and you choose I, our, I, and you choose our way forward and a couple times uh -huh. you know we've done we did contraband we did almost human right those uh -huh. were those were solid choices but a lot of the time doug i just think you got your head up your ass but you know what what do I know? I'm here just to uh, I'm here to eat the meal you set before me, Doug. And if you want to choose Madness, one of the worst movies I've seen in a while that isn't even in my opinion fitting for the podcast, that's cool, man. Sure. You do you. Uh-huh. No, I appreciate that though. Let me tell you what a Wild in the Streets uh, designed by Liam O'Donnell would be like. Yeah. We would get to the end of the episode and you'd be like, "Oh right, I was supposed to pick them." <laughs> no, I'll pick them. I'll pick them. I'll pick I'll pick them for the next 20 episodes and I'll send Please? it to you in an email. And what'll be great about that is you are right. I will forget what I picked, but it'll be a fun surprise and you have it written down so it counts. So there you go. All right. Look, That's usually how I it works, Doug. I write something down. I forgot I did that. Then I find it later and go, ooh, I made good choices. I should have stuck to this list. You must love surprises, always just being surprised by no, the No, I actually fucking you hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> uh, speaking of the of DeLeo here, Doug, I've seen The Boss. It's pretty good. Right? That's all I got. That's you, all I you got. You paid the cost to be The Boss. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I did see the boss. I think I saw it at an X Fest. Uh, and it's, no, it's when you say that you've seen something like that was before 1990. We all just assume that you saw it at X Fest. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I. That's not true. Okay. When it, when it comes to this genre, that's true. Right. Giallos, horror films, even like kung fu, black exploitation, all those play at X Fest, but I've seen them other places. Eurocrime. I've only mostly seen them at X-Fest. And that's, you know, again, this is partly of, of us doing the podcast. Even though I've seen a few of these movies, I think we both feel like we're we're more explorers. We're not here as experts. We're not coming in as people who right. know what the fuck is going mm-hmm. on. This is all new to us. And it's a little less new to me than it is to you. But it's still true. mostly new to me. Uh, because I've seen, before we started, I'd only seen like five or six total, you know, which is, for a genre like this, it's just not much, you know. Yeah, I mean that's part of the fun of it, right? And discovering it and trying to—I um, mean, we've hit some some rocky moments here. Sure. But one of the interesting things about watching these movies so far is you kind of a that you see actors pop up again and again, like we're seeing with Thomas Millian here, uh, and also some of the supporting cast. But also, like you get you—we're already starting to see, uh, particularly because we're not going chronologically, but we're seeing some of the cliches of the genre. And in fact, one of those major cliches that we were expecting to see. A little bit more frequently, the fascist cop in the style of like a dirty Harry esque character. We'll start to see in the movie that we're about to talk about today. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk briefly about uh, Ruggiero Diodato, the director, the famous uh, kind of exploitation director, not well known for his Eurocrime movies. In fact, he really only directed one, which was Live It Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. But he did pass away uh, since the recording of our most recent episode. I thought as a little mini tribute, to Mr. Diodato, that on our next episode, we would cover Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, which I know that you actually, Liam, have watched fairly recently. I thought it would be a good opportunity to do so. But in that uh, conversation, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on the career of Ruggiero Diodato? Uh, are you a fan of his more well-known efforts? Is there uh, any any kind of general thoughts about his career? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty unfamiliar. Uh, for a long time, I only knew him as the guy who directed Cannibal Holocaust, and I am... sure infamously a cannibal holocaust hater so i think it would have been easy you're for a cannibal me. holocaust denier yeah hate it hate it hate it so much uh and, and granted that hate is overwrought it's not really justified it's i don't really hate the movie i think it's the sort of hate you have when there's a movie that for a lot of people changed the game and for you it means nothing right when there's a thing that people go this piece of art changed the way we do this into the future and then you experience that art and say, it kind of sucks, though. Then it like what is a mild amount of distaste gets exaggerated because for everyone else, it's this watershed moment. It's this thing that is so right. important. And for me, I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I don't get anything out of it. It's not for me. To be fair, though, that was unfair to paint his whole career that way. A, there's a lot of movies here I haven't seen. B, one of his movies that I think people don't take very seriously. I think it's kind of considered silly, but I like silly. Uh, I love The Barbarians. I think that's a lot of fun. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I have also seen – I've actually seen four of his movies. I'm looking at the list because I have seen House on the Edge (laughs) of the Park. It's not my sort of thing, but I didn't hate it. It's just – it is what it is. Um, uh, And then I watched, as you said, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. We did recently for Cinepunks a marathon, and I thought out of respect to him – Here's a here's a, a genre I enjoy. I'll watch it and see. And I actually think this movie's pretty good. I'm excited to go back to it to talk with you about it, especially because 
uh, a little sneak peek for everybody. A lot of <laughs> a lot of experts in this genre think this movie is to some extent um, satire. In that, yeah, yes, that's right. Their feeling is that he didn't like this genre and he was mocking it. He thought it was stupid, and the movie's supposed to make fun of the genre. And having watched it, I guess I don't know. I I have no take on whether that's true or not. So I'll be excited to watch it again and to see what you think to see if that's true. I've never seen a quote from him saying that, right? Uh, but yeah. I have seen a number of critics make that claim. So that, that'll be interesting. Uh, but there's a lot of movies in here that I'm interested in watching that I think it would be unfair to say because I don't like Cannibal Holocaust. Therefore, Just I going back over to your dislike, your dislike of Cannibal Holocaust, do you dislike it? I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons that someone could dislike Cannibal Holocaust, but can you just give a few kind of a summarized version sure. of your Well, I mean, the, the, the basic, the probably the most essential thing is unfair to that movie, which is that... I don't. I can't think of a lot of cannibal movies I like. Right, like right. of this kind of cannibal movie, not like uh, yeah, Bo- yeah. Bones and All. That's a different sort of movie, right? But sure, of course, uh, absolutely. But, but like this classic sort of genre of cannibal movie, I haven't seen one I like. They all kind of bum me out. This one with the animal violence, um, sure, is a lot for me. I, I'm not totally turned off by that. Obviously, we have a Yodorowsky podcast, but um, but even like <laughs> the the the. <laughs> The extremity of what happens in the movie is like it's I mean, it's not scandalizing anymore, but watching it, I always kind of felt like, okay, I don't know what for me. I don't want to dismiss it too hard, even though I do kind of hate the movie in in certain ways. I actually think a lot of people love it and they have a reason to love it uh, that I don't understand, but I, I don't think is fake. You know, it's not it's not like when someone tries to tell you something's bad or something's great, rather, that you like think they're lying or they're faking or something there's something that people find really upsetting about the movie in a way that they're looking for and for me i just find it to be a bummer and i don't enjoy watching it granted i haven't tried to watch it in like 15 years so maybe uh sure that's what happens when you're old right like I thought about the other day. There was a time where if I told you I haven't watched something in 15 years, you'd be like, so what, since you were a child? You know, but like, it's so (laughs) weird being old enough to say, as a full-fledged adult, I tried this thing and it didn't work for me, you know? Sure. Uh, But, you know, I could be wrong. You know, maybe I'll rewatch it and I'll feel different. Also, you know, maybe the cannibal genre in general. Like, if you don't like Cannibal Holocaust, that doesn't mean you won't like, what, Man from Green River or... Other ones, I can't remember the names of some of the other ones. Well, but. or Last Cannibal World, the other, yes, the other, yeah, Roger, yeah, yeah. Roger, which I have seen, and I actually really enjoy. I remember really enjoying. Interesting, the movie. very okay. much more like an adventure movie than than the structure of some of the later cannibal movies, especially the ones after Cannibal Holocaust, which are really just about as many grisly, memorable images as possible. I remember it just being like very much like a. Um, um, kind of influenced by the adventure films that were taking place in the 70s at that time, just kind of a, a cheaper Italian version of it. I don't like Cannibal Holocaust because of some of the animal violence stuff. You know, I, by the way, not that I don't want to speak for somebody else, but I do know that some of the um, some of the common responses to when you say that you don't like the animal violence in Cannibal Holocaust is you uh, then I hope you're a vegetarian and I am a vegetarian. But that's, uh, I think that you can dislike that all the same. I don't think any animal should die for a movie. It just doesn't feel right for me. I also don't like the treatment of the indigenous people that are on display in that film. I think that it's it, it was probably exploitative on the, a 
Number of different levels? Yes, please. The thing I feel, Doug, that I don't know is justified. This is my unfair opinion, is that I don't know that I've seen a cannibal movie that didn't rub me the wrong way about its racial politics. That's the other part of this. And I don't want to point that finger because it's been so long since I've watched Cannibal Holocaust. But what you're saying about not feeling great about the treatment of the indigenous folks in the movie, I definitely felt that very strongly at the time. I've since heard people try to say that that's unfair. I don't know that I agree with them, but I, I because I haven't seen it in so long, I was lessening that. But let me just be really clear. So far, granted, I've only seen a few. I've never seen a cannibal movie that I didn't think, this is some fucking white people shit that I'm not about. I'm sorry. It's just not for me. <laughs> that said, I have to say, I, am very, I have a lot of respect for the craft that went into that film. Sure. And the fact that there is an artistic eye on display. And, and of course, very influential in the idea of, of found footage films and things like that. But I just think it's a really unique and interesting movie in a lot of ways. And fr- frankly, the movies it begat, right? The movies that were strongly influenced, like Cannibal Ferox, I think are actually worse movies in a lot of different yeah, ways and yeah. do a lot of the same things and, and don't get the same level of ink for, for obvious reasons. But I don't want to focus all of our attention. This is, again, still a Eurocrime podcast. Uh, and even though he hasn't really, he didn't really do other Eurocrime movies, he did do The Concord Affair, which, uh, Liam, is a movie that was influenced by the third airport movie which of course starred George Kennedy, just tying it all into the other podcasts that we do. He basically did a ripoff of the third airport movie and it has like a bunch of like Hollywood stars in it. Like, uh, well, Joseph Cotton's in it and James Francisco. So not like super uh, famous people, but I just like the idea that that uh, star-studded disaster movies of that time period were so big. And as we know, there were tons of like international ripoffs of that with big celebrities. How very strange. Just another one of the, the Italian-led uh, genres that every Italian director seemed like they had to dip their toe into. I really like Cut and Run, the movie from the mid eighties. Um, I have n- I've seen Raiders of Atlantis, but it's been a long time. And yeah, I think The Barbarians is a lot of fun if you if you dig the comedic stylings of the Barbarian Brothers, Liam, which I know you do. Mm-hmm. I do own <laughs> Raiders of Atlantis, and I've never watched it, um, which probably sounds crazy to people, but I. Uh, I spent some time cataloging my Blu-rays uh, over the last few days, Doug, just as a weird ADHD sure. hyper-focused mm-hmm. thing. And uh, turns out I have a lot of movies I've never watched now that I'm realizing it. So add it to the list. I'm definitely going to try to watch it sometime because I think it looks fun, but I, I've never seen it. I did notice that looking at his filmography, now I have not seen Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. I'll, I'll watch it for our next episode. But the direct translation of its Italian title is Born a Man, Die a Cop. And I, I like that title a little bit more. Because <laughs> uh, it's more of a suggestion that you're not a man if you're a cop is what I'm saying. I, I mean, I, that's what I feel like. Well, I, that's what I suspect the movie is doing. But we'll have to see when we watch it. Because I also was like not watching it for enjoyment as much as I was watching it to see if we could play it at this marathon. You know what I mean? So like sure. uh, for people who know, we, we screen these movies or don't know rather, we screen these movies on Twitch. So there's a certain limit to how extreme a movie could get before we're kind of risking our Twitch account. So I was kind of like, I was watching it, but I was more just thinking about like, what am I going to get We pushed those for? limits, by the way. Oh, we sure did. We sure did. Yes. <laughs> but I didn't want to be the one. And you notice my movie did not push the limit that much. Although, nor it, did mine, Liam. <laughs> 
<laughs> Although I will say that in today's environment, I was thinking about this later that like, sure, of the five movies, three of them had nudity that we asked there not to be nudity. Uh, your movie was critical of Nazis and my movie uh, involved a terrorist attack. So in a certain sort of environment, our movies would get a shut down before the boobs would. So yeah, I don't know. I suppose that's true. Yeah. But I think what you were getting, what you're kind of getting at is the idea of sexualized violence, right? Yes. I mean, that's something that we've seen a lot in the movies that we've talked about already on this podcast. And frankly, with the kind of crowd that we were going to have there, um, they, there be, could be a lot of people upset, and myself included, by watching sexualized violence. So uh, I think, we, you know, you're, you're trying to play to the, your audience to a certain extent. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, our audience, uh, it's not an absolute ban. It's a question of how are these things handled. And it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be violence. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual assault. It could also be the gender politics involved. Like I might feel comfortable watching it because I have a detachment, but that doesn't mean I want to subject people to some of the things we've seen in these movies where sometimes the theme isn't necessarily assault in that sense, but there is a a kind of physical misogyny even between heroes and their love interests that like we can talk about on the show and criticize, but I don't know that I want to play for funsies at a marathon unless I'm willing to have that conversation, you know? (laughs) <laughs> not, not that the whole marathon ended up being that much funsies anyway. By the way, if you want uh, information about future potential marathons, you might want to get on the Cinepunks uh, Discord, Liam, which we'll usually uh, kind of promote at the end of the episode. But I figure as soon as we start plugs, people just turn off the shows anyway. So I might as well promote it right here. If you're interested in being on the Cinepunks uh, Discord, you can just reach out to Liam or myself and we can get you a link. We put out the link uh, publicly, but we don't want a bunch of assholes would that be correctly <laughs> that's fair yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, an even easier way would be of course to sign up to the cinepunks patreon which also would get you the link to special access i would say liam uh yeah i think there's i think um well it certainly has a lot of different shows on there i don't know that we're i don't know when we'll do a patreon only twitch stream but we might if enough people want it who are on the patreon Liam, I think for now, I want you know we could talk about kind of the uh, the, the interesting points brought up by Roberto Curdi in his uh, book uh, Italian Crime Filmography, nineteen sixty eight to nineteen eighty, which includes a nice section on Emergency Squad. But I'm going to actually fold those into our discussion on the movie proper. So let us take a break. When we return, nineteen seventy four's Emergency Squad. <laughs> is consumed with the desire to get revenge on the crook who shot his wife to death during a robbery. The crook in question is Marciese, who is trying to assemble funds for his own retirement. It is 1974's Emergency Squad, directed by Stelvio Massi, who started his career as a camera operator and cinematographer, including working with Sergio Leone, before moving into directing with this film. This is actually his first movie, but after this, uh, the success of Emergency Squad, throughout the 70s, he made tons of different Poliziotesky movies, including Mark of the Cop, uh, Mark, actually the whole, whole Mark trilogy, uh, Destruction Force, Highway Racer, Convoy Busters, some really well-known ones in the genre, which we have not yet covered. 
Uh, as with a lot of these hero crime movies, they have a ton of writers. It's like a whole collection, a writer's room. But this includes, it's not only uh, co-written by, but it's based on a story by Dardano Sacchetti, who is might be one of the more, uh, if not familiar names, certainly a familiar presence in Italian genre cinema. He was a co-writer of a lot of Italian genre favorites, including Cat and Nine Tales, the Dario Argento movie, uh, that Lucio Fulci's The Beyond and City of the Living Dead and Zombie, uh, Lamberto Bava's Demons, 1990 Bronx Warriors. He just He's worked a lot with Fulci and Lamberto Bava. Uh, also co-written by Gianfranco Barberi, who helped write Mario Bava's legendary Bay of Blood, a.k.a. Twitch of the Death Nerve, before then helping uh, Lamberto Bava uh, write 1977's Shock. And uh, Adriano Bolzoni, who was an Italian journalist. Actually, he ran the magazine Reporter that uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini was the film critic for in the 1960s. Uh, he had extensive writing credits as well, including on Leone's A Fistful of Dollars, which may be where him and Silvio Massi might have first met. Uh, he also wrote the Sergio Corbucci early spaghetti western Minnesota Clay, as well as other things, Italian genre films, including 1972's Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, one of the uh, greatest titles in all of Gialdi film making. Uh, as well as Silvio Massi, the director himself, has a writing credit on this. Uh, this uh, film stars Tomas Milian as the cop uh, on the edge, Ravelli, as well as Gaston Moskin uh, as Marciazzi, uh, uh, Ray Lovelock, who we have actually seen previously in Almost Human. Other faces that I didn't recognize, but I'm sure have been in a lot of the, uh, the Italian films of that time period. But the one I did recognize, I don't know if you did, Liam, was Stefania Cassini, who plays Marta in this film. She was also in Dario Argento's Suspiria. She's, uh, she plays... Um, Jessica Harper's friend, the one who has that ridiculous line about people whose names start with S. I don't know if you remember that. That's the name oh, of snakes. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. One. <laughs> uh, most of the films that we cover on this show, you know, we've had discussions before about whether you should watch the English dubbed or the Italian version. Because there were no lead American actors speaking English in this, uh, I both of us watched the Italian version of it. And what's notable about that is that though Thomas Millian spoke Italian, he usually did not dub himself in these movies, but this is an exception. Thomas Millian actually dubbed his own voice in this movie. Uh, so, you know, it gave it maybe a little bit more authenticity. I actually did toss on the English dub of this, which is available on the 2B streaming service. And I have to say, the acting in it is just awful. So I'm pretty, maybe the acting is awful in the Italian dub as well, but it was, uh, it was, um, it was helped by the fact that I didn't understand the language. Liam, before we get into the details, let's ask the uh, question everyone wants to hear the answer to. What did you think of 1974's Emergency Squad? I didn't love it. I think that uh, we're we're moving into a space, as you already suggested, that um, where this is one of those movies that follows more closely to the vengeful cop trope, which we sort of uh, 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 described as the fascist cop. Uh, in this movie, sure. it's hard to say that exactly. Uh, it, it, on one hand he does the things that one of these vigilante cops do. However, he is in the world of this movie, which I don't think is accurate, but it's how they portray it. He's not a cop, sure. right? He is an Interpol agent, which they say is not a cop. But I mean, come on, Interpol is just a different kind of cop. But in the movie, it's like he's sort of a, a ruthless secret agent or something because he's in Interpol, right? He goes around doing awful things with the cop's approval, but the movie yeah. isn't necessarily sure that the police are very good at their job. So, sure. uh, which which is a which is a part of some of these movies. That's why you get vigilantes. But the ones in which the character represents authority, usually the authority is only powerless because of the society. The society is holding them back. If it wasn't for the society and their 
unjustifiable morals, you know, like human rights, then these powerful cops could do whatever they wanted and they would make sure. the streets safe. And this movie doesn't seem to think that. It's more that something bad happened to this man. And so whatever he does it, it, to do this, which, by the way, his entire idea, which we know is true, it, he's not wrong, but the whole movie bases his uh, search for vengeance upon ballistics, which yes. ballistics are not reliable at all, actually. They're really bad. They don't really help you. But with this one shell casing, he knows for a fact that the man who's a part of this bank robbery uh, was part of another bank robbery during which his wife was killed. Completely unintentionally, by the way, but that doesn't matter. His wife was killed, yeah, and he needs vengeance, and this is his chance, and he just happens to be there to get it, I guess, for some reason. No one seems ever to really clarify that very well, and so then he goes on this thing for vengeance, and um, it's not a big you know, spoiler, really, to say that he gets it in the end uh, instead of allowing this criminal to actually be brought to justice. He just shoots him and, you know, gets his vengeance, uh, which, you know, going back a little bit, I think you said that um, he retired. I, 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 maybe that's true. I also got the vibe that maybe the, maybe he wasn't in Interpol anymore. Like when he, like the way the ending works, it's not clear to me if that's him quitting or if, he never like he's actually hasn't been on the job like because why else is he there like he's not supposed to be in Italy let alone in the town where his wife got shot so then at the end he shoots this guy and he abandons his it doesn't look like a badge but I think it's supposed to be like his ID card yeah right 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 so it's possible it's possible that like he hasn't really been officially on duty this whole time I don't know it's not clear to me the ending is I mean really you'd like to think shooting. that his higher ups in the fucking police force someone would check on whether he was legally in the area and still working with it I don't Again, I don't think that, that I, I think mean, you're giving these yeah. characters too much credit because in the movie <laughs> I mean they are particularly terrible cops in this that's sort of the point right is that they're all bad and what's interesting the criminals are kind of bad at their jobs but it's more their ruthlessness, which is really just to justify the murder at the end. But it's like all sure. of the cop, all of the cops, sorry, all of the criminals have to die, though. It can't just be the one guy. All of them have to die at various points. But a lot of times when the other criminals die, it's because these criminals won't, they won't give up, right? So it's their ruthlessness, their greed, their heartlessness towards human life that allows them to move forward, but also then to ignore the deaths of their comrades or something. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. There's sort of a, I think it's meant to suggest that uh, it all feels like it's building up to build the case about why the Marseillaise, uh, which I guess is his name. I also couldn't tell if that was a term for someone from Marseille. You know, like, what I'm yeah, saying? yeah, someone from Marseille. You know, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know if that's his. <laughs> he didn't name. seem French to me, but I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the guys is supposed to be Tunisian, and he didn't seem like. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> everyone in this movie is supposed to be from somewhere else, and they're all Italian, as far as I can tell. So whatever. I, anyway. I like the location of this movie, by the way. It's yes. all foggy. Yeah, it's, so, it's, uh, it's me, a unique-looking place. I was focusing too much on the theme, but my point was that I was trying to get to is when we got to one of these movies, I was hoping that even though politically it might be uncomfortable, that it would be so fun and so ruthless and so over the top right. that I wouldn't care because I'd be so entertained. And here's the thing. I didn't think the politics of this movie were as bad as they could have been, but they weren't great. 
And sure. while there's a few very well done action sequences, there's a lot less like fun action. And in fact, I think one of the most important parts of the movies, the helicopter chase of the car, is mostly boring. Now, I don't know that they could have done it differently because I don't know what the technology like they weren't gonna smash that helicopter. So I don't know what they could have done. <laughs> differently to improve it but i think it's supposed to be really impressive that this helicopter is following this car and i found it mostly boring and it's a larger not huge but a larger sequence in the film that i feel like could have been cut it doesn't do much for me um and i think in the end uh, a lot of the movie revolves around this uh tomas million character being compelling and i found him uh sartorially compelling i love his fucking look but as a yes. guy He's just a guy. I don't really care about him. I just, there wasn't about him that, nothing about him that moved me forward. And so what I needed was either crazy action or, and I hate to admit this because we've we've talked about how uncomfortable we were, if the politics had been so bad that I was scandalized, that sure. might have also been interesting. <laughs> but it's it's not, the whole, the whole, the whole movie felt fine, but a little mid to me. Um, and, and again, I, I wouldn't tell anyone not to watch it, but for me, I just was slightly unimpressed. I think I liked it more than you, but sure. the reason I liked it more is because this movie isn't what I was expecting it to be. Fair. When I first started watching it, I thought it was going to be very much in the Dirty Harry vein, where we're going to be following this um, Ravelli character throughout the whole thing, him getting his revenge. But the fact is, what 80% of this movie has nothing to do with Ravelli. It's all about right. the criminals, right? We spend so much time with this group of criminals. Now, they're pieces of shit. But they're also, at least those interactions are a little more interesting because Ravelli is such a blank slate. You know, in uh, Roberto Curti's book, he, he speaks or he writes very uh, lengthily about the idea that Ravelli is, is influenced by spaghetti Western characters, like the man with no name. But like he is, he, he barely says a handful of lines in the entire movie. All he does is chew on his cigar the whole time. Has a great look. You know, I like Thomas Millian in other roles, but you know, we know that he can be like a real wild actor. Someone oh, yeah. who can really show a lot of charisma. But that character's kind of a blank slate. So the most compelling thing a... about the character is his nice sister. And you think, yeah, he has is a, this yeah, lady living in a dream world? Does she? Oh, that's right. I'm sorry, his sister-in-law. No, it's, it's okay. Like, is is this lady living in a dream world? Doesn't she see that this guy kind of sucks? Because she's like, she's such a breath of fresh air. It feels like she's yeah. in the wrong fucking movie. Really, but he's <laughs> and, and he's just he literally just hangs out around the house being sad, contemplating murdering someone, and she acts like their life is like not fucked, right? And that part is the most compelling part of his character because it's just not clear to me. He doesn't, sh despite his resilience and his commitment, there's not a lot uh -huh. of passion in what he does, which no. I think that actor could bring to this role. And he's not, yeah, he's, he's ice cold, right? He, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, the other thing is that he has a son, right? That kid that she's taking care of, his sister-in-law, that's his kid. We right. saw his wife pushing the stroller, right. so we know it's his kid. And what, we see him drop the kid off at school? That's the most interaction they have in the entire movie? Not that I want to see him having some shitty kid, like, follow him around the whole time. And I am glad that they didn't kind of put the sister-in-law character in danger, which is what you always figure they're going to do in a movie like this. But it just shows, like, he is so cut off from the world that it's hard to believe that he has friends. The fact that there's a cop who is just like his buddy who's just kind of helping him out the whole time. And uh, by the way, were you not convinced that that cop who was supposed to be, what, eight months away from retirement? How the fuck did he get out of this movie without getting killed? I thought for he, sure he was on. <laughs> that was definitely a Chekhov's gun that never went off. As soon as he said, like, I'm almost retired, I'm like, oh, fuck, you're going to get it. And then he does it. It doesn't make any. I mean, also, 
Doug, I think you're downplaying the fact that um, while, yes, he does have a son, his wife was hot. So therefore, yeah. he has to abandon his son for vengeance? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it, there's there's all these shots of his wife slowly dying and being hot while she dies. And yeah. there's no thought about, also, my son doesn't have a mother anymore. He doesn't seem to give a fuck about that. All he's focused on is that she died and she didn't have to die. And it's almost like the fact that it was random and not malicious is almost more infuriating to him, which yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, right, exactly. If it was targeted, then you could see. But that's the thing. He is not a cop who just wants to stamp out crime. He is only interested in his specific revenge, which is why when he gets it, he just he's like, that's it. I mean, what does he do? Does he walk away and then go and raise his son afterwards? Anyway, we'll talk about the ending in just a second. I want to just go back to what I was saying, which is that the Marciese character, the lead criminal guy, I found him really interesting. And I really did. Like, he's not sympathetic necessarily, but he's very single-minded. And he's, you know, he's planning on screwing over the other criminals that are there. And I, it felt very much like those first couple of Eurocrime movies we've covered on this podcast, which were focused entirely on the criminals and them kind of like trying to hide away and all the interrelations and all the difficulties trying to keep them on on track. Um, it kind of felt like it was more interested in those kind of characters. And I think that Gastone Moskin, if that's how you pronounce his name, his performance as Marciese, I think it's really good and really interesting. Um, and also, like, there was a clear suggestion that this guy is dying, right? I mean, he's coughing the entire fucking movie. We know what that's shorthand for, but they never stated outright. But it, it kind of gives his character, if not depth, a little bit more direction in terms of what he's doing. I like that even when his girlfriend is being held hostage, you know, they give us a, a moment at that at that point where you are rooting for him to stop the person who's holding her hostage so they can, if not get away, then at least get to the end of the movie. Uh, so I like the movie feels a little bit, it seems like there's some confliction regarding where your sympathy should, should lie. Speaking of that confliction, this is a, a thing that the director disliked uh and i wanted to get your take on it it's written about in roberto curdy's book which is that the director said i was ashamed like a thief at emergency squad's premiere in rome when the audience erupted into a spontaneous applause during the scene where a police car explodes after the bandits shoot at it with machine guns we looked at each other and said these people must be crazy i just like the idea that even at the time even despite the fact that this movie is supposed to be about like this this fascist cop that that the crowd is supposed to be getting behind like the audience are that there was at least a portion of that audience that was like you know what sucks that your wife got shot in uh, accidentally by these criminals but we still want these guys to get away yeah yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm I, I'm thinking about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Well, I mean, the movie doesn't push us towards wanting the police to die, but in this particular case, those are just nameless, faceless police officers, right? It's and true. I mean, certainly a lot of people have conflicting feelings about. I mean, like when these guys are robbing, uh, they're doing a robbery at the very beginning of the movie mm -hmm. where they uh, implement a movie camera into it. Very clever robbery, actually. And the only person that gets hurt in that is a police officer who gets killed, which is, of course, why there's more of a effort. Not as much of an effort as you might think to go after them. <laughs> I like how great police work in this just uh, kind of uh, boils down to the fact that Ravelli sees that a camera was involved, a movie camera, and just finds out where movie cameras had been stolen recently as the obvious thing to follow up on. And the cops don't seem to be following up on that whatsoever. Like you said before, they're just following him as he does what he's doing. And it's it, it 
boy, I'll tell you, it, if if this wasn't a movie that seemed to suggest that taking the handcuffs off certain police officers would be a good thing, it would feel like a condemnation of the cops generally because they're so incompetent. I that's that. But this is what I'm saying, Doug. I'm not sure that the movie has a clear idea about yes what the what any of this means. It wants us to care about two things. So um, we've learned a little bit about each of these criminals that they they all have something about them that's a little bit frustrating or annoying or there's sort of this setup that each is sort of uh, uh, insufficient in some way. But the one that seems like maybe he's being set up to be compassionate for our compassion towards is this getaway driver, this leftist getaway driver. And right. instead, um, <laughs> not only does he die because he's the one guy who doesn't seem like he wants to screw over because here's the deal. It seems at first like the head of the gang doesn't want to screw everyone over. He wants to keep it fair. Of course, that's not real. He's going to screw them all over. And the part you were saying earlier that you found him somewhat compelling, the part I didn't like is that it's all for this woman. And the vibe of the movie is that the movie thinks the woman is too attractive for him. And that's why he's willing to do all this stuff. And I just find that vibe... The idea that like he basically has small dick energy and that's what's motivating this whole thing is like that's not fun for me. I just was like this sure. is this is not very compelling. So then we have this one character, this leftist guy. He's the one guy who seems to be in it not for himself. And his we know he's I, a leftist because he's reading about Stalin, <laughs> right? And he brings up stuff here and there. He's and he's part of a group, but yeah. but the movie's like. I need to contact my group, and which they all think yeah. is bullshit. But I'm like, I don't know, maybe that makes sense. But when we see the group, Doug, they're all fucking high hippies, right? They're all drugged out hippies. <laughs> yeah. And for American audiences, I'm sure that makes sense. Because in the U.S., while there was some tension between activists and hippies, a lot of times those communities were intermixed. And a lot of leftists in the U.S., were also stoked on drugs. You know, that was part of their activism was wanting f less strict drug laws and LSD was part of it, you know, whatever. In Europe, those lines were sometimes a little harsher. In fact, um, sometimes there's confusion with some of the European exploitation films. When you see a bunch of hippies getting manhandled, it's easy to think, oh, this director must be right wing because he hates hippies. Uh, there are a lot of leftists who hated hippies in Europe. The, a lot of actual communists and socialists were like, hippies are the worst. They're self-involved capitalists who just want to get high all the time. And so like cutting to the scene of, of a group that is or, supposedly organized enough that if he doesn't call them, they're going to wonder where he is, that he's, he's, <laughs> he's getting money so that they can do leftist shit and then we see them and they're just all high it's like it's it's designed to be insulting and so it's possible that whoever wrote this movie is doing some sort of cultural joke or whatever i really just took it as this movie's like yeah all young people suck you know like young people are the worst <laughs> look at these shitheads they're all they're all bad they're the worst and like you know I, whatever that's fine for like funny for us now but i just think in that context it's kind of fucked up and i find it more it's the only part that seems to have any sort of perspective like it seems more conservative to me than just this man seeking vengeance which is like I don't know. There's something about that that some people might find emotional, right? That, that it, This doesn't have to be a commentary on the police failing to protect citizens. This could just be about this man's passion for his wife. Now, I don't know that the movie does that, 
because he doesn't seem to have a lot of passion. But that could be a motivating <laughs> factor for what's going on here, not just like he's cleaning up the streets because the cops are tied up. Their their hands are tied. Because like in this movie, at least for me, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but watching this, I thought if these cops had all the freedom in the world to do the immoral stuff that this guy's doing, they still wouldn't do anything. They're, they saw, they're bad at their jobs, yeah. Doug, is what the right. movie seems to think. Though... I mean, I think they want to set up Ravelli as like a Charles Bronson-esque character, right? And and the, even the fact that he's not strictly a cop might be part of that, where they want to keep him kind of outside sure. yeah. of the system. But they do seem confused about what he is and what kind of powers he has. I mean, really, the main power he has is that he doesn't have to answer to anybody, right? Yeah. I mean, that's really everything. And he's constantly, he's been uh, a, a cop, kind of a goofy cop has been put on his uh, tail, but like it's a friend of his. It's just someone who's actually helping him along. We do have that one interesting sequence where the Marciese character goes to visit the mother of the leftist character after he's already died, though she doesn't. His mother doesn't know that because they're trying to retrieve some sort of note that he's written. I don't know if that was ever very uh, clearly explained, to be honest. But they go to it, and the Marciese character gives her money. Is that correct? Mm, yes, that is. He gives that her a packet correct. with some money in it, uh, but not his full share. But gives him some, gives her some money, and basically kind of tells her to take down some of the leftist literature on his walls and stuff like that. And they, I mean, he's dressed as a priest at the time, and, and and he's just playing a character. But it is an. Int- I wonder what that is supposed to represent. Maybe the naivete of that character because he's so young and obviously has gotten to some political issues in the past, or maybe just kind of a commentary on the fact that. Italy at the time was a pretty fucked up place in regards to uh, a lot of feelings towards leftists. Right, right. It definitely was. I I just took it as uh, they feel like they have to do something for this guy who they basically murdered. He wasn't killed in the line of duty. They killed this kid because they were mad at him. Yeah. And, uh, and so they feel guilt about that, but not enough guilt to give her his full cut. And then and then a character shows up and takes the money anyway, right? Like right after yeah, that? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's uh, there's a lot of unsaid things in this that we're supposed to kind of just work out that didn't fully make sense to me. I think he's not making right. Please. That's the guy that that's the guy that uh, Ravelli, Ravelli. Is, put, is putting pressure on because he thinks he knows something. And that guy right. acts like he doesn't know anything, but he actually knows enough to go and get the money because he's like, well, he must have been involved in this crime. So I'm going to go get his cut for me. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, doesn't exactly work out. Uh, all. The fact that the actually let me ask this question because it's something that you kind of put uh, refer to at the beginning of your response to the film, which is that you expected this to be more like, or at least potentially, so fascist that you would kind of almost be outraged at it or at least surprised by it. But part of the reason it's not is because we don't spend that much time with Ravelli. If this was right. a series of Ravelli kind of blowing away criminals, as opposed to them kind of killing each other, which is what happens in the movie, would that make the movie more entertaining for you? Not necessarily, but it's there. I guess it's not that I want that, but that might mm-hmm. have me engaged because I feel so like, like amazed. You know, like it, it's more like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but I've definitely watched. Like, a great example might be um, um, Death Wish 3. Right. It's so over the top that while I don't think it's a great movie, it's it just it engages me to some extent. You know sure. what I mean? Um, this, is, this is not that. And I, I'm not saying it had to be, but I, I just thought, like, okay, 
if this was pushing the envelope a little bit more, that might be at least I'd have something to think about. I just felt like there yeah. wasn't a lot going on here. And honestly, it's not ridiculous in any way, right? It's no, it's very, it's very yeah, serious. Yeah. And you could play a serious movie that had ridiculous stunts, right? Like, sure. Uh, it could go over the top in other ways, but uh, there's not, there's not a ton here that I found very thrilling, which is, sure. again, uh, I don't want any of this to come across as a strong critique. It's not a terrible movie. It's just, uh, I really was thinking like, okay, the first time we have one of these guys, even if I'm kind of bummed on this uh, this sort of copaganda idea or this uh, this hard line on the law idea, that might bum me out. I might be excited at how gonzo it is, right? Like sometimes right. those movies, in order to like explore this weird fascist fantasy, really push it far, and that could be fun. I mean, think about any number of uh, predator thing or predator, sorry, Punisher things, right? <laughs> sure. That, like you yeah, could, yeah. there's a version of the Punisher that like, you know, is awful, but it's kind of fun to see this awful man go crazy on all these people. And uh, this is not that, you know, it's, it's more like you're supposed to passionately feel to some extent that he wants revenge. But as you said, I think the movie knows that the criminals are more interesting. And even as a, even as a, if we think of him as a international cop, Ravelli does like almost no detecting. Like he has one insight. They, there was a ca- movie camera reported stolen. So I should look into that. After that, it's just him beating people up till he gets to where he needs to be. Right. Like there's not yeah. like a lot of detecting going on. It's, 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 it not... helps that he's in kind of a small city, like a smaller city. So right. people know each other. Right? right. So he just needs to find the person who knows the people involved. And that's the other thing is that the, the lead character, the sorry, the lead villain in this, like he's, he's put together a, a crew of amateurs and that's what ends up fucking him over. Right. Because all of them are, as soon as they get the money, they want to spend it, which is like the exact thing that, you know, you're not supposed to do when you make a big score. Yeah, totally. And so, um, I, again, I, I, I don't want to sound too negative on it because I think there's a lot here to like too. But it, it is kind of funny. Like, I don't know that I needed him to be more of the bad version of this thing, though I don't think he's, uh, he's you know, a great guy or anything. Um, sure. I just think maybe if he was, that might be more interesting at least because what this movie did that I didn't love is it's not always interesting. You know, parts of it are very fun. Mm-hmm but parts of it are not fun. And I would have liked to have seen this Ravelli character, other than look awesome, be awesome more. Like, we don't get to see him (laughs) do a lot of things that he's very good at. Like, at least with some of these movies, we see the guy be physically great. Like, he could beat up a lot of people. And he doesn't do much. He he clearly is is smarter or at least more clear-eyed than the police. And so that's something. That's I don't want to say that's nothing. But we don't get to see him do enough stuff that is like really interesting. And I and as you said, we spend more time with the criminals, but the movie isn't interested in in glorifying the criminals either, which again, I don't know that I needed that either, but it is a little weird that we spend a lot of time with them while they just kind of don't do the right th- you know what i mean like they just keep getting yeah. it wrong again and again like the most obvious is they stop at a gas station for smokes and the dude fucking drops his gun and i'm just like what is this the- are these like the keystone cops of criminals like what the <laughs> fuck is happening <laughs> i want to ask you now there isn't a lot of like complex action sequences in this but did anything stand out to you you mentioned before you didn't care much for the helicopter chase in this 
Uh, well, I, I think the opening sort of idea of the robbery is pretty good. Uh, and some parts of them getting away was, was fun um, to see. Uh, and, you know, I don't... <laughs> It's not great, but I did kind of like when they were at the farmhouse. Some of that was 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 kind of fun to watch, um, and the helicopter thing—it's fine. Like I don't mind like he's shooting at them. That's cool, I guess. But like it just goes on a very long time. Like so, right before that, they burst through a toll exit, which I didn't even yeah. know back then they had toll exits. So they burst out a toll <laughs> exit. They get chased by cops. They end up blowing up the cop car oh that's fun enough that's fine but then he follows them in the helicopter and this helicopter thing goes on for a while and it eventually ends because they go in a tunnel and it's like that feels such an easy way to like how are we going to end this helicopter chase we're not going to blow up this fucking helicopter i guess they go in a tunnel or something like it just felt kind of like I don't know, cheap and boring to me, and I just wanted there to be more to that somehow. You know they, what I mean? Just to just to clarify, they go into a tunnel and then they ditch the car they're in and they take uh, someone a hostage. I don't know why they couldn't have parked the helicopter on the other side of the tunnel because there are cops coming up on the side that they stopped at, so they could have covered both ends of the tunnel and just stopped cars from going in and out of it. I don't know. I'm not a police officer. Obviously, I don't have all the ins and outs of how that would work. Uh, I will say that he is particularly good at shooting people from a moving helicopter. Uh, like it's Several of these criminals end up getting hurt in that uh, fray in a way that doesn't seem like it would be uh, very easy for someone to, uh, to to shoot so accurately, a moving car and a moving helicopter at the same time. Just going back to your difficulties with that se- sequence going on too long, I have to say as well that like these kind of smaller helicopters that you see in a lot of action movies and the way that they have to film it where it's obviously a helicopter that's not moving and for all the close-ups and then you have the wide shots of, of the action sequences of it. Because they go back and forth so often, it's it really does start to lose its impact because you know how fakey it is when they go for the close-ups and they're just like there's just blue sky in the background. You know nothing's moving. Uh, it just it the illusion of it gets broken very easily for me when I'm watching stuff like that. I I, I don't have it on the notes, Liam. What did you think of the soundtrack to this movie? You know what? Doug? It's funky, very basic. Uh, yeah, I think I think I liked it. I I found myself sort of grooving to it a little bit. I kind of would like to hear it, it sort of separated from the film, honestly. Uh, um, yeah, I liked it a lot. And th- I also want to say the movie, I mean, it has a look that you would associate with these kind of movies, but I like that. So, I, you know, I like the way this movie looks. I like the locations. Yeah. You pointed out there's some really foggy parts. I like that. It seems to be constantly raining. You know, I kind of I kind of dig that. Or it, maybe it just rained a few minutes ago every time they're filming, you know? So I kind of <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. that. I kind of like that, too. Even the, like, the port where things sort of wind up, I kind of like that as a final location. So there's a lot about that stuff that I like. Uh, and I like that, though, we are occasionally in very Italian cities. It doesn't feel like, oh, this looks like every other Italian crime film. You know what I mean? Like, some of the location choices are outside of what we've seen before, and I appreciate that. Yeah, so the movie itself takes place in the northern Italian uh, provincial town of Pavia, which is why I guess it's so foggy. But, yeah, it does give a kind of a unique look to it. I want to ask, let's finish up here with the ending of the movie We've already kind of referred to it. Marciese, all of his men get killed, some of them by him, actually a number of them by him. Uh, one of them by Ravelli in uh, just, just blown away point blank because they've taken a family hostage. But Marciese, he, he is going to meet his girlfriend on a boat. He's got the money. He's going to get away. 
once he arrives there, the police already have it scouted out with Ravelli kind of leading them. He's surrounded by people with machine guns. He realizes he's toast. He drops his own gun. He puts up his hands and Ravelli walks the pier towards him, takes out his badge. I mean, his piece of paper that is supposed to be, I guess, some sort of badge like thing. He tosses it aside and he kills him in cold blood. And then, you know, the, the, the cops are watching him, including his friend on the force, watching him like it with like disbelief. He walks away towards the camera and it freeze frames, Liam. What'd you think of this ending? I, I, I don't, I, I, I actually like it. I think it's fine. I think I would like it more if I cared more about this resolution. You know, does that make sense? Like, I don't sure. think it's a bad way to end the movie. It's just, it doesn't have the impact that the movie thinks it does because I don't care as much about his revenge as I feel like I should. Yeah, maybe if we saw a little bit about his relationship beforehand, right? And maybe if we saw that he was a more easygoing warm person before this completely fucked up his life you could see but all we know is this cold distant character and all we know about his motivations is i want to get my revenge on this guy so it's not a surprise that he just fucking kills this guy um but i have to say i i'm a little conflicted with what the movie wants us to take away from the after effects of that right is does he lose his job well you would guess that he doesn't care about that since he tosses his badge away does he go to jail for just killing a guy I don't know if the movie is suggesting that that's what's going to happen. Is now his kid doesn't have a father? Well, I guess he didn't really have much of a father beforehand, so I don't know if that matters. It The movie definitely seems to present that as the right thing for this character to do. But I don't know if audiences would necessarily stand up and cheer, because at that point we know a lot more about Marciese as a character and his motivations than we do about Ravelli entirely. I agree, though I do think the movie spends... Part of my frustration, Doug, is I think the reason the movie spends so much time with the criminals is not just because Ravelli is boring, though I think that's part of mm -hmm. it. I think it's in order to make the case that Marciese is sucks. Like it just it yeah. shows us a guy at first that is frustrating, but doesn't seem so bad. He's just kind of anxious and bossy. And over the course of the movie, it just keeps trying to make the case like, no, really, guys, he really sucks. No, really, he really sucks. And by the end, I get it, but his executioner is not that interesting. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not that I, I want Marciese to live though. I do think his lady friend, uh, the, she's quite, she's just as immoral, but she's kind of compelling. I'd like to see more of her actually. Sure. Uh, cause she's just silly and fun. But the idea that Ravelli is, we're, we're not just invested in Marciese needing to die. We're also invested in Ravelli getting his revenge, and that's the part where that I don't feel right. And I and I feel like if the movie had nailed what it was trying to do, which is that you want both of these things, you believe that this criminal guy really is as bad is really as bad enough for this to be justified, but also you care about the pain of Ravelli that you want to see him work it out. And the movie doesn't make that case. And as far as how the movie ends. I think the movie assumes you don't give a fuck what happens after this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, or yeah, I mean, someone, I, I, I definitely, I, I'm not saying this is a universal law, but I've heard enough directors say like, if the director ended a movie at a point, they're assuming that you don't need to know what happens after that. Right. Like they're assuming right. this is it. This is the end. He got his revenge. That's all that matters. And Obviously, as rational humans, we know, well, that's not the end, right? Like, they're not going to let him go. But I don't know. This is the problem, Doug. The movie 
keeps holding up Interpol like it's uh, it, like it's the Wizarding Association or something. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, right, right. like, like he's untouchable because he's an Interpol, which like that's not how Interpol works, right? Like, in <laughs> fact, for the most part, Interpol kind of can't do a lot of shit that normal cops can do because they have to respect all kinds of international laws and shit. So, like, the idea that he's the magic man because he's with Interpol is like never believable really. And I think the movie kind of right. ends in a way that lets that suggests to you, well, now he just goes off into the sunset cause he can just do whatever he wants. And I'm like, not sure that that's clear to me, but also I don't, I'm not sure that that's narratively compelling because I'm not invested. I, again, it, part of the reason you're even bringing up his son is that his relationship or lack thereof to his sister-in-law and child is more interesting than his revenge plot. Like, I feel like, right. I, I know you kind of made the joke, like, I don't want to see him hang out with this shitty kid, but actually, that's exactly what I want. If this movie had spent more time establishing him as a compelling dad who has to make this sacrifice for revenge, but he knows what it is he's doing, and he regrets it, that's way more compelling than, well you know why I have to do this because here's another slow motion shot of my wife getting shot. You know what I mean? Like they just yeah. keep showing you that footage thinking that's all you need is that footage. And and it's not I enough. Just, I mean, the fact that he's so psychologically damaged, but the movie is, has no interest in that whatsoever. None. Right. It's just the None. idea that I, he gets his revenge. I guess that'll solve everything. I guess it'll fix his brain, but that's not really. Well, and I mean, again, the, the they, they that... don't show us the damage. We know he's damaged because of how he acts, but like we never see him get emotional. We never see him express anything. He just chomps on a cigar and occasionally shoots people. Yeah. It's also not a movie that is focused on what we've seen in some of these other movies already, which is the police that we know are incompetent from what we see, but we don't see them as having like their, um, that, that they are unable to do their jobs because of laws that, that allow criminals to get away. Right. I mean, this isn't a movie about how weak the criminal system is. It doesn't focus a lot of attention on that. We see that it's higher ups are like assholes, but it's not like, Oh, I wish, you know, even though the movie seems to suggest that, if police had more power, at least competent ones, that maybe they could get stuff done. But that's not what this is about either, because he doesn't care about stopping crime. He only cares about his revenge. It's a very self-centered movie. And at the well, end, I mean, it's like there's already been all this carnage because of, of the search for these guys. I think it's meant to function at a time when there really was a lot of crime going on. Now, sure, I think, yeah, yeah. I think a, a more nuanced view of history is that some of that was exaggerated for the police to have more power. Some of that crime wasn't wasn't crime as we're thinking about it. Like there were more leftist groups than people were willing to admit that were committing crime in order to fund revolutionary activities, you know? And sometimes the mafia, who a lot of times in these movies was portrayed as doing most of this crime, were doing the crime, but then also working with police to crew to screw over rival Mafia, you know what I mean? Like there, it was a lot less like the the situations we see in these movies. It's a lot more complicated, and of course, everything is a bit speculative because everyone wants to lie about what's really going on anyway. So whatever, whatever. But I think the idea here, Doug, is that within the context of all this crime happening, here's a more personal story. It's not about yeah. how the whole country's falling apart. It's about one man. But again, if it's going to be a story about one man, you know, the one we watched with Franco Nero. Is much you know street laws much more of yeah. that than Ravelli, who's he's just one man who happens to be an Interpol agent who 
not only is he an Interpol agent, but none of his Interpol superiors are going, why is this motherfucker back in Italy? Isn't he supposed <laughs> What's to be he in doing? Switzerland? Should, like, should he have to call in a report every once in a while? <laughs> like, we get one line from a lieutenant who goes, I think he's investigating a smuggling ring. Okay. Well, that's right. They do say that. But it's like. he never does. <laughs> no, he has no interest in. He's making no reports about. And, like, couldn't you. Isn't that like my, my dog ate my homework? You know what I mean? Like, if you're in Interpol, right? They're smuggling everywhere. He could be anywhere investigating smuggling. Like, it's just something you say, like, I don't know, I'm here for uh, smuggling? Yeah, that makes sense. I'm doing smuggling. Like, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's not compelling, and it feels very throwaway. But again, I think the assumption is that no one's going to be asking these questions. We're all just so invested in the narr- like the story of his revenge that we're not going to bother to stop and go, how is he doing all that? How is this okay? You know. <laughs> and again, I, I, I honestly it, think if it was more exciting, I would not be asking these questions, right? Like right. If, yeah. if things were just blowing up all the time and he was shooting all the time and it was like this explosion of action or maybe even not just action, maybe even performances, like there are all these gripping, psychotic performances, whatever it was. If there was something more... If there was more spectacle, I guess is what I'm trying to say, I might not have as much time as I did to go, wait, how is this making sense? You know, because it isn't making sense. But the movie is is somehow both interested and uninterested in its own plot at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think we both responded to it very similarly. I did not love it, but I did find it engaging enough, mostly because I found the the main criminals interesting. But Ravelli, to me, yeah, it, by the time it focuses more on him, I'm less interested in the movie because he is such a blank slave. And it made me think too much about the ending and how it would actually work in a real life setting. Because exactly like you said, I wasn't, I didn't care that much about the character. So <laughs> I think I, I, I started to wander into other things. If you, listener, want to check out Emergency Squad, as I mentioned before, the dubbed version is available to watch for free with ads on Tubi at the moment, uh, but it's also kind of regularly available out there as well. Liam, any final thoughts on Emergency Squad? I don't think it's like a terrible movie or anything. I just think, I guess what I'm saying is there's there was potential there, both with uh, uh, Tomas Milian being in it and even some of the other actors who I recognize, but also like the story... It's not that the story's a bad idea. It just feels like the emphasis is in the wrong place in this film. And so sure. I, I think it's less that it's it's really bad. It's more that there was potential here. And I think I went in, like you did, a little nervous that I was going to be bummed out on the politics. And in the end, all that sort of concern was irrelevant. It's more, yeah. I wish there was more whether it was stuff that made me happy or stuff that bummed me out, I wish there was more exciting things happening in the movie because there's just segments of this that felt a little rote or a little a little uh, uh, procedural, and that's not what sure. I come to these movies for. Like I, I, Some of these movies we've watched, Doug, have just been amazing in the shit that they're doing in these movies, just like totally like craziness. And I think that's maybe my expectations for surprise were too high. Well, maybe our next film will live up to those expectations. Of course, you already know whether they do or not. Uh, starring Ray Lovelock, once again, who we just saw in uh, in this film, as well as Mark Perel. It's 1976's Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, directed by Ruggiero Diodato. Uh, I have not, as I said before, seen this. I know you've watched it recently, uh, and I'm very curious. I, I mean, this is one of the... Even though it's the only uh, Diodato Eurocrime film, uh, it is a, a generally very well-regarded one. I'm very curious about what you said before about some people interpreting it as a parody or maybe uh, mocking some of the conventions of the genre. Now that I'm a little more familiar with the genre, maybe I'll be able to uh, to uh, notice 
that kind of mocking. But uh, on the next episode, 1976's Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. Liam, people want to check out more episodes of Wild in the Streets or other Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, I mean, our archive is always at cinemasmorgasbord.com, so they can get into the whole variety of shows and topics that we cover. And our latest episodes, as well as the latest episodes of a whole family of podcasts, is over at cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Dot com. Uh, they can check out not just what we're talking about, but uh, other shows like Twitch of the Death Nerve, Cinepunks, Horror Business, uh, Tomb of Ideas, all kinds of stuff over there at Cine, uh, at C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X.com. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> and, um, of course, uh, Cinema Smorgasbord is on Twitter, I guess, assuming Twitter still exists when you're hearing this. Uh, and that's at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. Uh, Cinepunks is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And as uh, Doug already mentioned, we do have a Discord. Feel free to message us or email us to get that Discord link. You can, of course, follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. If you like what you're listening to right now, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Every little bit helps. Or why don't you tell a friend? Even if they're not interested in Eurocrime, they might be interested in the careers of Jackie Chan, Carol Kane, George Kennedy, Alejandro Jodorowsky, and many others over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. If you've seen Emergency Squad or other Eurocrime films and you want to talk to us about it, you can always leave us uh, some feedback via our contact form there or just email us directly or uh, through our various social medias but for now liam we need to take a little break we need to catch our breath after that exciting emergency squad we're going to be back very soon with 1976's live like a cop die like a man good night everyone night night